Thank you, T. Dre, for the, uh, the props on the joke earlier. He texted me to tell me that was the best joke I've ever made about Mom's Day. Uh, anyway, so thank you for that. Today, we are going to look at the most used and abused Bible verse coffee mug quote, at least in the last 10 or 20 years. So if you haven't been with us in the last few weeks, uh, we're doing this series called Coffee Mug Christianity, and we're talking about verses of the Bible that are often put on um, coffee mugs, or we put them up on our walls, or we share them on social media, and they may not mean what we typically think they mean. Like they have a good message, but often those things are taken a, a bit, at least a bit out of context. And, and sometimes, actually like today, way out of context. And, and so they sound really good and maybe they make us feel uh, really good. But when we understand what's actually going on in the text, we, we find that like maybe I shouldn't use that. Or, or at least uh, when we use it now or we see it again, we can understand it in context. We can have a fuller understanding of, of, of what it means. So we're going to look at one of the most used and abused verses today. But before we get to that, do you remember the J.G. Wentworth commercials on TV? They had that catchy uh, tune and um, people who like just, I don't know, just always came across a little greedy to me. They feel like that um, to you. But, but right, J.G. Wentworth was there to help. And so if you don't remember it, we're going to play it for you. You can sing, sing along if you want to. <laughs> That reminds me of Dave. If you get long-term payments, but you need cash now. It's your money. Use it when you need it. All right, you're welcome. That'll be stuck in your head all day. <laughs> so there, there are a lot of Christians, I think, in the world today, and, and, and really because there's a, there's a lot of churches, there's a lot of pastors in churches today who tend to treat God like J.G. Wentworth. Like they, they know, like we know that we're promised everything in God, but we're not patient enough to wait. We're like, they're my blessings and I want them now. Being a disciple of, of Jesus, though, is, is learning to live and love and look like Jesus every day. The sad reality is that while we may do some Jesus things, we often miss Jesus' motives. For far too many of us, we pray for God's will, but we want it our way. And so we, we pray well, right? We, we ask God to, to do like your will be done, but really, in the back of our minds, in our heart, we, we want it done our way. And you can tell that because when things don't work out the way we want them to, we get angry with God. 
We get frustrated with him for the way things have gone. But that was not a habit of Jesus, right? Jesus prayed, not my will, but your will be done. And and so Jesus had a different way of dealing with God. He wanted to do God things. In fact, he said, I only do what I see my Father doing. We want the promises of God, but we don't have much patience for God's timing. And even more than that, as our verse today will show us in a little bit, most of us want to receive the blessings and the benefits of our relationship with God, but we want nothing bad. And if anything bad comes into our life, we think a couple things. We think maybe we're doing something wrong. Trevor talked about that just just a minute ago. We think, you know, well, I must be sinning in some way, so I'm doing something wrong, and so God has withheld his blessing from me. Or we just think, right, God is up in heaven, and he's just angry. He's just an angry God looking at us, waiting for us to mess up so that he can punish us. But both of those things are completely wrong. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have been adopted into his family. He loves you with that unconditional love, right? It's not conditioned on the things that you do, good or bad. We talked about that um, last week. And so we're a part of his family. He loves us no matter what we do. So the problem then must lie with us, right? There's, there's got to be something in us, a misunderstanding, a misrepresentation of God that causes us to react or respond to God in, in a way that, that Jesus didn't or wouldn't have. And, and so let me ask a few questions. What if God's plans for your life left you penniless instead of prospering? How would you feel about that? Like, would we be in line to sign up, right, if, if we knew that this is what we were going to get? What if your future promised hurt instead of healing? God, I'm going I'm to follow you, but, but I realize that, that I'm going to be hurt. Like, following you is going to be difficult, and it's going to cause me pain, and it's going to bring me into places that really I would rather not go. We, we want the, the, the healing from God, but we, we typically want to try to avoid the hurt. Would you surrender to Jesus if it brought you pain instead of promise? Jesus himself said that we should count the cost before we choose to follow him. So I want you to do something for just a second. It's going to be a little awkward, okay? And I I realize that, but but it's going to be okay, and we'll get through this together. I want you to take a second. I'll just give you a a few seconds, but I want you to really process this question. Now, answer this question in your your own mind, all right? Don't don't stand up and answer it. That would not be good. Just sit there and think about it for a second. I'll, I'll give you just a moment. Would I still follow the king... If I wasn't promised all the blessing, answer that question for yourself. Would I still today, who I am, where I'm at, would I still follow the king if I wasn't promised all the blessings? I would say that if you answered that question really quickly, you know, yes. At least for me, I'd be like, Okay, maybe I'm trying to hide something from God. You know, that question really should 
take us a moment. We should have to ponder on that a little bit because because honestly, remember, we've talked about this before. Sin, selfish in nature, that's us, right? We want the blessings of God. We want the benefits of God. And if I knew that following God wasn't going to get me those things, I'd have to really think about whether or not I was going to follow. And we all want God's best for our lives. But what happens if his best doesn't match my best? Like I have an idea of my life and, and what it should look like, but what if God's plan for my life doesn't match my plan? Now, Jesus tells us in Scripture that there are four types of, of Christians or four types of b- believers. Um, there are those who hear but don't believe, right? They, they hear the, the gospel message about Jesus, but they, they don't believe. There are those who hear, but they fizzle out quickly, like they jump on board, but then they fizzle out very quick. There are those who uh, believe, but they only want the blessing. Right? And so when trouble comes or difficulty comes, they, they bail. And then there's those who believe and produce fruit as, as a person. They, they look like Jesus every day and they, they make disciples as they're even learning to become a disciple. Now for those who fizzle out and those who can't handle any bad stuff, both expect God to be like a crutch in their lives. Like they want him to bless them and protect them from everything they perceive as bad. They expect God to keep them out of any trouble, and usually it's because they're in trouble that they come to God in the first place. And so there's this kind of delicate balance there. God, I want you to bless me. I want the best things that you have, but I really can't handle any trouble or any struggle. They just want to use God to help them get out of the difficult times. The life of faith is all about them, right? It's all about me. It's not about, it's not about God. Look, it, it, it's, it proves this, that it's hard to take up your cross when you're looking for a crutch. And so as, as, as believers, as, as people who have surrendered their lives to Jesus, we know that we're told in Scripture to take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. But it's hard to take up that cross when we're looking for a crutch. When we come to Jesus and all we really want is help. God, I'm in trouble. I need something. I need you to show up. I need you to get me out of trouble. I need you to rescue me for this. I need you to take this from me. But I really don't want to go any farther than that. And so if if trouble or difficulty or struggle is going to come into my life because of my faith, then I have a really difficult time handling that. For hundreds of years, the Israelite people had been steadily walking away from God. They'd forgotten his rules. They began worshiping other gods. They, They treated each other and other people not of their nation shamefully. They pretended like they were God's favorite people to the rejection of everybody else. that They were making the sacrifices that God required, but they had forgotten the reason behind them. We bring that to today. They're like, they showed up to church and they came, but it left them empty when they left. Like they, they, they weren't getting anything from it. And it wasn't because there wasn't anything to get. It was because their hearts had been hardened. They weren't following God alone. They were rejecting his ways. 
But, but for the very beginning, when God miraculously delivered the people of, of Israel from slavery in Egypt, he, he told them that very clearly and multiple times, I want to bless you and I will bless you. But if you reject my will, if you go your own way like the nations before you, what happened to them will happen to you, right? That, that was his deal. I'll be your God and you be my people. But if you reject me, if you begin to worship other gods, if you stop following the things that, that I've ordained for you to follow, then what happened to the nations that you drove out of the promised land is going to happen to you. You're going to be driven from your home as well. And eventually that happens, right? Now, it takes a few hundred years of, of sin. In fact, as we read through the kings of Israel, it just says, you know, like this king was worse than the king before him. And it just got worse and worse and worse. And so it finally happened. Babylon comes and conquers Judah and Jerusalem. Babylon takes every good and healthy person and march them back to Babylon, a journey of about 1,700 miles, a little less than 1,700 miles, which, which would have taken at minimum 43 days if they marched 10 hours a day. Now, think about it back then, 10 hours, you had to walk 10 hours every day, and everybody had to keep up. Like this was not a, a pretty sight. This was not a, a good and, and pleasant and leisurely journey. In fact, for the people who did make it out of Jerusalem, their friends and family had been slaughtered in front of them. Like they watched them die. Anybody who tried to resist Babylon would just be killed. It was a horrible, horrible situation. Their homes had been burned, their city torn down, the, the wall that protected their city, the wall that they hid behind, that they felt safe behind, had been taken apart brick by brick. And, and the temple of, of God, the, the place of, of God, the home of God had been utterly destroyed. And because the people of Israel had abandoned God, as they marched to Babylon, they felt like God had also abandoned them. So practically speaking, they'd lost their homes, they'd lost their city, they'd lost their job, they'd lost their identity, and, and really they'd lost their faith. And it was into this despair of the nation as they marched back to Babylon, and they get there, and you can imagine, they're... they're they're, they're in a foreign land, foreign people. It's a difficult, they know nobody. It's a very, very difficult situation. And it's into that moment that, that Jeremiah spoke on God's behalf. Jeremiah said some difficult things, and he, and he said some good things. And he, and he starts out in the Old Testament, if you go read the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah starts out telling the people, look, this is exactly what God told you was going to happen. God told you from the beginning, he warned you through the prophets and through the judges and through the kings that if you continue to reject God, he's going to reject you in this situation. He's going to discipline you so that you might come back to him. And so the first part of Jeremiah is difficult to read. It's terrible. It's the people just being reminded of all of their sin and everything that they have done wrong. And then Jeremiah starts to tell them, but, but look, there's hope, Right? Yes, you've sinned. Yes, you've rejected God. But God ultimately has not rejected you. And God is going to be faithful even when you are faithless. 
This was going to be a difficult time. It was going to be a long discipline, but there was hope. A return to Jerusalem for the exiles' children, but not the exiles themselves. So this verse today from Jeremiah makes it into our Coffee Mug Christianity series because all we pay attention to is verse 11. What Jeremiah was telling them was far from the one verse quote we get in chapter 29. So let's look at Jeremiah 29, 11. And, and look, even if you don't know the Bible very well, you probably know this verse. Here's what Jeremiah says there. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Sound good so far? Plans to give you hope and a future. Now, now who, who would look at that and go, oh, I, don't, I don't like that? <laughs> like, that sounds good, right? We all want that. We all want that to be our life verse because it sounds awesome. I want all of those things. I want to think that God is in heaven just making plans for my life, like he's laying it all out and he's spending time on it. His effort, it's work for him to figure out all the different things of my life and lay them all out t- together. And, and, and man, who doesn't want to be prospered? God, if I follow you and if I make a decision for, for your son Jesus, man, you're just going to open the floodgates and bless me and it's going to be wonderful. I'm going to have all the money and I'll be able to do all the things I want. We certainly don't want to be harmed, so take that, uh, the, that away. But we do want hope. We do want to know that there's a future. Like we all are aware of our mortality. We want to know that there is a future, that God has plans for our lives. We want to think, we want to believe that, that if we just decide to follow Jesus, that we'll get all his blessings. That we just make a mental decision, God's going to show up in our lives, he's going to get us out of all the trouble, he's going to give us all the good things, life is going to be fabulous, we're going to get the car we want and the house we want and the job we want, and the family we want, and all of it's going to come from God and it's fantastic. And that thinking creates Christians who are happy to receive help from God to get through life or to have their best life, but they miss actually living the real life that they've been called to in Jesus. Right? It's, it's why James tells us to consider the many trials, the difficulties, the struggles that we face in life as joy, Because we know that those trials are building in us a faith that will ultimately produce fruit for the kingdom of God. Like like the fourth Christian, the fourth believer that we mentioned just a few moments ago. Now, God wanted to use the people of Jerusalem like a light that would shine in a dark world and shine so brightly that every other nation on earth would come to know the one true God because of the way that the Israelite people lived. Because of the way they worshiped God and they functioned in their lives, all the rest of the world was supposed to come to know Jesus. But instead, Israel hid their faith. They, they made it a, a personal faith instead of a public faith. Does that make sense? What, what they did was they said, God exists for us, 
We're the chosen ones. We're the ones who are getting to go to heaven. And not you. Israel hid their faith. They lived it personally to some degree, but they certainly didn't live it publicly. And and as long as they were going to heaven, they thought, well, everybody else can go to hell. Because I'm good, right? I'm going to make it. It's all about me. And so for the Israelite people, living their best life was, was all there was. Like we're God's people. We're God's chosen people. He's supposed to bless us and do what we want and give us every good thing and prosper us and not harm us and give us hope and and a future and all this is great. And as long as that was happening, everything was wonderful. And so they were devastated when all of that came crashing down. When Babylon came and built siege works and tore the wall down and marched them all away, they were absolutely devastated. But it tells us this truth. Your best life was never supposed to be this life. When we look at God's word and what he says about our lives, your best life was never supposed to be this life. But that's how we function, most of us, right? I I want the best life now. I want all the blessings now. I want all that God has for me now. I want to live my best life now. I don't care about anything else. I, I think maybe some of us Christians are unfulfilled in our lives because we're trying to get from this life, meaning the physical aspects of this life, what can only be received from God as the Holy Spirit works in us, as we strive to look more like Jesus every day, becoming open to his way of living with and for others. So when we think that, that life is all about us, that, that, that all the blessings and everything that we get are for this life, we miss out on the real life that God wants us to have as we live with and for other people. Brandon Cook, in his book, Learning to Live and Love Like Jesus, said this, God's goal for your life is not that you be a good Christian, but rather that you enjoy union with with him, with God. If you think of salvation as going to heaven, there's little motive for transformation here. Heaven is not going to a place, it's abiding in a relationship. Our work is to be transformed by him, by God, to become like him so we can participate with him. When we expect only blessing from God, a future of hope and prosperity, when we put all of our bags into this earthly, all of our eggs into this earthly basket, then there's no need for transformation here. There's no need for true discipleship here. There's no need for true grace here. If life is all about getting to heaven at some future point, this goes hand in hand with what we discovered last week, that we can't work out our salvation, that it's a work done in us and through us as we allow grace to do its work through the Holy Spirit in our daily lives. 
So let's look at what Jeremiah was actually telling the people in the rest of chapter 29. And then you can decide if you want to make this verse your life verse. Because I think if you read the whole chapter 29 in context, you're going to find out that Jeremiah 29, 11 doesn't really mean what we think it means. See, most of the time when we quote Jeremiah 29, 11, we're doing it with hope. We're doing it expecting to receive from something from God. Hope that God will do for us what, what the verse seems to say. So we have this vision of God in heaven carefully crafting out the plan of our lives to avoid trouble so that we receive financial blessing and to give us hope for a better and brighter future here. But, but look at what verse 10 says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, he says, I will come and fulfill my promise. 70 years are completed. Now, how many of us with Jeremiah 29 on a coffee mug would be willing to wait 70 years for God to fulfill his promise? What's our, what's our lifespan now? 80, 90 years is the average, something like that? <laughs> okay, 70 years is your whole life. And so we, we quote Jeremiah 29, 11, right? Because we want God to bless us and give us the future and the hope and all of those good things. But the people understood that Jeremiah was talking about those things happening 70 years down the road. Given the mortality rate, the promise through Jeremiah was not for the adults who had been carted off into exile. It was for their children and their grandchildren. They would be the ones to receive the promise. And so this, this verse was a promise for the children, a reminder to the adults to remain faithful to God, to, to teach their children how to follow God, how to have a relationship with him so that they would receive the promise that the adults had lost. This isn't the first time that this has happened, right? If you know the story of Israel, God shows up while they've been slaves in Israel for about 250 years. And he shows up in a big way, right? The 10 plagues that he brings on Egypt and, and after about the second or third plague, then he separates them so that they, they happen to Egypt and not in the land of Goshen where the Israelites live. So there was a clear delineation between who God had accepted and who God hadn't. God drove Israel out by Pharaoh through those plagues and he showed himself, he revealed himself in, like, in person to the people through the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. They were with him. He led them out and, and into the desert, but then they sinned, right? They didn't believe God. They didn't trust God. They grumbled against God. And so God said, okay, 40 years you're going to wander in the desert until this generation has passed away. And what he means by that, this generation, is everybody 20 years and older. Now, this gets a little crazy because there were maybe three, four, five, six, seven million people that left Egypt. All the Israelites and a whole bunch of Egyptians left. 
So for everybody 20 years and older to die in a span of 40 years, they were stepping over bodies in the desert. It was not a pleasant situation. The sin of the adults against God, their lack of faith and grumbling, resulted in their missing the promise, and so it was extended to the children. And so when Joshua stands on the east side of the Jordan River and he announces they're going to cross the river and go into the promised land and begin to drive out the people there, he's talking to a generation of people who probably don't remember a lot of what happened 40 years ago. They were small children when God showed up and brought them out of Egypt. What we find in the rest of the chapter doesn't doesn't really get any better for them. In verse 7, Jeremiah tells the people to actually seek and pray for the benefit and blessing of the the very people who destroyed their homes, killed their families, and carried them off into exile. Right? Jeremiah says, look, don't just live here in this land, but pray for the blessing and the benefit of these people who stole you away. Now that seems contrary, right? One of the things that was interesting about Israel throughout all of the generations, you can go back historically, Israel has been a nation that has been very, very difficult to conquer, And one of the reasons they are so resilient from this is that they refuse to engage in the practices of the people around them, right? They are carried off into another nation. They're carried, in this case, from from Jerusalem. They're carried to Babylon. And and the idea was that the the people, these exiles, because this is what Babylon did to all the nations, what they were supposed to do was they were supposed to... um, get involved in, the, in, the, in Babylon. They were supposed to intermingle with everybody. They were supposed to become like the Babylonians. That's how they controlled them. But the Israelites wouldn't do that. They remained segregated even though they were in a foreign nation. You can look historically, they did it over and over and over and over again. It was very difficult to control the Israelites because they refused, they refused to, to, to be in unity with the nations around them. It was a very difficult situation. And so now Jeremiah is saying, look, you're in exile. You're in a foreign country. You're in people who don't like you, who don't want you there. This is a difficult situation. But you're supposed to pray for the help and the hope of those who harmed you. That doesn't really sound like Jeremiah 29, 11 to us. We, we're, we're supposed to get the help. We're supposed to have the hope, not these other people. Pray for your enemies, like bless those who persecute you. Um, That's crazy. We're not supposed to do that. God, I thought your blessings were for prosperity and promise for us, not our enemies. Like, I don't understand this. This doesn't make any sense. But look at what happens as he goes on, verses 12 to 14. After 70 years, Jeremiah says, God is going to restore the nation. Those who are left in in Babylon, after they repent and seek God with their whole heart, they're going to be able to go back to Jerusalem. This was not a, a blanket blessing from God. It was conditional on the people's repentance. 
Now, that was the whole point. That was why God allowed them to be conquered by Babylon, why he allowed them to be taken out of the homeland so that they might understand through discipline that they need to follow God. They like, remember how good it was when we followed God and did what he wanted to, us to? That's what we need. Jeremiah 29, 11 is not a promise for you. And it wasn't really a promise for them. It's actually a promise for our youth. And it's not a prayer that, that God will make everything wonderful for us and bless us. It's recognition that even though we fail and even though we personally fall, God will remain faithful because that's who he is. Jeremiah 29, 11 is about God and his, his faithfulness, not our financial benefit. If we want to experience the blessings of God, we've got to remember two important things. Number one, a blessing is anything that draws our attention and affection back to God. That's not typically how we think of blessing, right? I want God to bless me, and this is how I receive that blessing. This is like the five uh, love languages of, of, of people. And so we go, God, this is how I will receive your blessing. I'll receive a blessing from you if it's financially beneficial to me, if it makes my life easier or better, if it's the things that I want, then I'll receive that as a blessing from you. But if it doesn't meet those criteria, I'm not going to receive it as a, as a blessing. I don't see it as a blessing. But to God, a blessing is anything that draws our attention and affection back to him. It causes us to move towards him. Not that he's gone anywhere, but we've been distracted by other things. And so a blessing is anything that brings us back, that brings our focus and attention back to God. Secondly, We've got to stop waiting for God to make things better and start working for better things. If you really want to start living in the blessing of God, you've got to stop waiting for your life, your situation, your finances, your addiction, your relationship to get better. And you've got to start working in God's strength, in his grace for better things. What do, we, what do we mean by that? Better things like making disciples, baptizing, teaching people to obey, like looking more like Jesus every day. Those are the better things that we need to be working on instead of just waiting for God to bless us. We got to work for better things. And those things, discipleship, baptizing, teaching, all, all of the, those aren't pastor things, okay? Those aren't things that are, are my job to do because I'm the preacher here. There are people roles. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple of Jesus. Your role is to look more like him every day and help other people to find him as well, to find that real life that comes through a relationship with Jesus. We're all supposed to be in the business of helping every person possible find real life in Jesus and look more like him every day. So hopefully what you've learned today will have an effect on how you live tomorrow. Because, because what we learn on Sunday morning or in any Bible study or discipleship class at all, none of that means anything if it doesn't affect how we live. Being with other believers in church isn't a blessing unless it creates movement in your life 
toward Jesus. Jesus said this, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. But far too often, we as believers, what we hear is is this, affirm yourself, take up your cause, and receive from me. That's how a lot of us come come to Christ. Look, as long as you do what I want you to, we're going to be good. But the life of a disciple isn't about receiving blessing. It's about being a blessing to others. It's hard to take up your cross when you're only looking to God as a crutch. Now, Jeremiah 29, 11 isn't about personal blessing for me, right? It's not a personal verse. It's about God's desire that we would seek him with all of our heart so that he can bless us as he truly desires. To be a follower or disciple of Jesus is to let God's word change your ways so that you're always in the middle of his will. Well, we've said this before. If you want to know the will of God, people always say, what's God's will for my life? God's will for your life is that you walk in his ways like his son Jesus did. And we learn to walk in the ways of God when we understand and study his word. Jeremiah 29, 11 isn't about God promising a, a quick end to suffering or a future full of blessing for us. It's about God telling his people to dig in to their suffering so that repentance and reconciliation could come. The truth is, just like the Israelites, you and I are in exile. We're suffering away from our real home in the presence of God. Just like the Israelites, instead of just standing on the sidelines and waiting for God to bless us and give us all those good things, because look, God, I'm a Christian, I'm I'm a follower. What we're supposed to do is get involved and seek the benefit of the people around us for his glory and for their good. That's the call of of Christ on, on our lives. We are in exile. But look, God knows the plans that he has for us. Not to harm us, but to give us hope and a future. But it's not here. It's not in this world. It's not in this time. But one day Jesus is going to come back. Right, and heaven and earth are going to be brought in to unity. And there we're going to prosper. And we're going to have every good thing. And nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us and for all the good things that you do and give to us. Father, forgive us because we often get confused and, and, and think that, that the life of faith, the life of surrender to your son Jesus is about us. And so we expect your blessing. We, we want you to give us all good things. We expect hope and not harm. And, and we want that good future that we believe you've promised. But God, too often we get caught up in this world. Scripture says that this world is not our home. 
We are only passing through. We are exiles and strangers in a strange land. We are aliens here. And so we shouldn't fit in. We don't have to have the the, the physical blessings of this life because we have a promise and a hope and a future in the world to come where we'll be able to live our real lives without pain or fear, with every good thing. In fact, your your word says that, that gold and jewels will be so plentiful, but that the streets will be paved with it. Our homes will be lined with it. God, so often we want the things of, of the promise, we want them here and now. But we've been called to take up our cross here and now, to follow your son Jesus, to follow him to the cross. Not because it's going to be easy, but because what we get is a future and a hope and a blessing through him. So Father, would you help us to live with and for others as we look more like you every day? Thanks, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we uh, are going to have a drawing for a Manny Petty for the ladies. So if you got your little, uh, you got your little card, raffle card thing, now's the time to get that out. Sorry, guys. If, listen, if you'd like to know um, why men are so important on Mother's Day, talk to Chad after church. He's got a, he's got a lot. <laughs> Your wife sold you out, buddy. <laughs> I mean, it was good, and I agree, but yeah, she sold you out. Okay, I got it. All right. 503. I just love to do that because everybody gets excited the first three letters. It's not, not important. Okay. 503-9-9. You know on TV shows when they get right to the end and then they cut out? Okay. 503 9 Eight. Oh. Who is it? Oh, Christian. That is a that is appropriate. There you go. All right, you're welcome. Happy Mother's Day. All right, hey, uh, hey, love y'all. Happy Mother's Day. Next Sunday, we're gonna start a brand new series called I Say, and uh, we're gonna be looking at the. Um, Uh, What are we going to be looking at? We're going to look at some of the things that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, what they mean for us today. All right, so I hope you come back and and join us. See you later. Thanks for tuning in to Real Life Live. Our hope and prayer is that the time you've spent with us has left you encouraged and challenged in your faith. It may have also left you with some questions or maybe wondering how all this faith stuff works. So we want to help you with that. Head over to reallifecc.us for a few different ways we can connect. We're thankful you joined us today and want to extend an invitation for you to join us in person at our current home in El Dorado, Kansas at the Civic Center, 201 East Central on Sundays at 10 a.m. We hope you'll keep tuning in and growing in your faith to look more like Jesus every day. See you next time.